Welcome to the Ocean Hills Podcast. Our hope is that today's message would help you connect more deeply with God and with others. If you would like more information on what is happening in the Ocean Hills community, check out our website at oceanhills.org or download the Ocean Hills app. If you are encouraged by our ministry and would like to partner with us financially, you can give through your mobile device by texting Ocean Hills to 77977. We hope you enjoy this message. This morning. Thank you for being here with us. In your name, amen. One of the words for God's people, Israel, means wrestles with God. So at the beginning of this message, this this is really about wrestling. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, for the thousands watching and the millions watching around the world, let's get ready to rumble. Is that good? That's good. That was good. That was so good. That was so good. Thank you, Pastor Jono. So I want you to look at the quote that we're going to put up. This is one of my my favorite quotes. It's by Mark Twain. You've probably heard it. But this is what he said. It's not the things in the Bible that I don't understand that trouble me. It's the things I do understand that trouble me. Anyone, anybody else would agree with Mark Twain? We're going to talk today about an issue that troubles you and me. It's in the Bible. Earl Palmer, the great Presbyterian pastor who's kind of the generation above me. In fact, our uh, Lori Pullet Short worked on his staff. I heard him speak many, many times. He was at First Presbyterian Berkeley when, when, I, when I grew up in Oakland and would go out and hear him. But he used to say this, the job of a preacher, teacher of God's word is to take the word of God and it's take the people of God and it's to bring those two together so they collide. And then it's the spirit of God's job to, to figure out what happens with that. And that's actually what we're going to do today. We're going to take the word of God and we're going to take you the people of God, and we're going to bring those two together. There's going to be a collision that happens. There's going to be a wrestling that happens. There's going to be an inner fight in your spirit of pushing back that's going to happen. And you're going to have a fight and a wrestling match this morning in your own heart as I'm speaking, and we're looking at the scripture, and you're going to fight defensiveness. You're going to fight the, yeah, but, the you don't know my situation, but what if? All that's going to be happening in you. And so let's jump into this new series. It's called Bruised Camels. Bruised Camels. And uh, what we want to do is in this today especially, here's, here's my desired outcome today, just so you know. I'm hoping that today this message is a catalyst, a catalyst for conversation. I'm hoping that as a result of today's message, you're going to have a conversation with God that you actually will have a real, genuine, authentic conversation with God about money, about giving, about priorities, about your situation. And I'm going to push you even further. If you're married, I hope that today's message is a catalyst for you to have a conversation with your spouse about money, about giving. And if you have children, where do our children learn to become 
generous givers. Where do they learn that? Do they just kind of wake up one day and go, uh-huh? Or do we mentor our children in giving? So if you have kids, I'm hoping today's message is a catalyst for you to even sit down with your children and talk about why do mom and dad give? And here's the questions I want you to talk about today. Why do I give? Why do we give or don't give? If you don't give, why? It's, 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 I want you to have an honest, real conversation about what are the factors that are leading you to be a person that lives this way to give or not to give? Second question is, where do we give or to whom do we give and why? Think about that. Talk about that. Reflect on that. That's a healthy conversation. And I hope that you'll have it. It's so funny in marriage. I find that it's challenging sometimes to just sit down and talk about these basic questions and then get aligned around that. And so this morning, we're going to be in two passages of Scripture. We're going to be in Mark chapter 10, and we're going to be in Luke chapter 12. Mark chapter 10 and Luke chapter 12. Both passages are passages in which Jesus gives us some wisdom and insight into this issue of money and giving. Mark chapter 10, verses 23 through 27, the context of this passage is the comments of Jesus, these reflections of Jesus, they come right after his encounter with the rich young ruler, a person of influence, a person in power, and a person of means who was, uh, was wealthy, rich, and a person who was having a wrestling match inside about money because Jesus talked to him about the Ten Commandments, and he's going, yeah, I did all of these things. What else do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And then Jesus just kind of turns his world upside down and says, go sell everything you have, and then come and follow me. And then the passage, the writer Mark says that this rich young ruler walked away sad. The next verse doesn't say, and Jesus chased him and said, no, 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 it's okay, I didn't really mean it. It says Jesus allowed him and let him walk away sad to wrestle with that, to deal with that, or to walk away from him. And so it's at this point of the story in Mark 10 that we pick up these words, and they're on the screen for you. Jesus looked around and he said to his disciples, how hard it is. How hard how difficult, how challenging, how impossible it is for what? For the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words. And Jesus said again. Why would Jesus say something again? There's emphasis. Pay attention. Listen up. He's repeating himself. But Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Did you hear that last statement? Let me read it again. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who's rich to enter 
the kingdom of God. And the disciples were even more amazed. And they said to each other, who then can be saved? And Jesus looked at them. And he said, with man, this is impossible. Humanly speaking, some translations say it that way. Humanly speaking, this is impossible, but not with God. All things, all things are possible. Rich people can inherit the kingdom of God. All things are possible with God. How hard. So here's, here's my question. Why? Why is it so hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? Now, half of you are going, well, this doesn't apply to me because I'm not rich. <laughs> now, let me remind you of where we live. We do not live on the streets in India. We live in Santa Barbara. We live in one of the most affluent communities on planet Earth. If you are able to live here, you are in the top 10% of wealthy people on the planet. So that's most of us in this room. I know you may not feel rich based on the rent or mortgage payment that you're paying, but the reality is, the truth is, is that we, I include my, we are in the top 10% of people. And so this morning I want to talk about, here's, here, here's how I'm titling this, five issues, rich Christians. It hurts to even say that. Because I'm talking to myself and I'm talking, five issues, rich Christians, not those people. We're not just talking about 93108 people. We're talking the good land people. We're talking 93101 people. We're talking people that live in this area. Rich Christians, five issues rich Christians must wrestle with. Because, why? Because we're compromising living our best story. The best story, the bigger story that God wants for me, and I believe God wants for you, is to, to be a generous giver, to live a generous life. And I, I, I don't think it's an overstatement right here, right now, for me to say everybody in this room would love to live generously. That, that part of your story, your reputation, your legacy, if people were to describe you when, when hey, what, what do you think about that? They're the most generous person that I know. They're amazing. They're so generous. They live so open-handedly. Wouldn't you want that to be said of you? Would you want to be known, or would you rather be known as Oh, man, that person's stingy. That person's greedy. That person's just a hoarder, and all they do is think about themselves. How many want that reputation, right? It's implanted in your DNA. You are made in the image of God, and God is a generous giver. And so God wants you and me to become more like him. That's what discipleship is. It's a life of becoming. And so it's in you to become a person that lives and gives generously. This morning is, is a little bit about pouring cold water on all of us to kind of wake us up. And these five issues, you may not wrestle with all of them, but I'm going to guarantee you're wrestling with one of them. 
And I'm praying that this morning there's an awakening that happens in your heart as well as my heart to say this is the issue. And I'm going to make a commitment over the next three weeks to take that issue that I'm going to discover today and offer it to God to say, I want to be set free. I want to be set free from whatever is crippling me, holding me back from becoming the person that Jesus wants me to become. Living that better story, that generous, open-handed, freely living and giving generously story. So what are the issues? Let's jump in. Number one, well, this is a hard one. It's the word greed. Greed. Ecclesiastes 5.10 says this, Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. Raise your hand if you'd like to be wealthier. Raise your, I said, you didn't hear me. (laughs) Raise your hand if you'd like to be wealthier. Right? Okay. Raise your hand if you look at people that are wealthier than you and and, and say, I'd be a better, wealthier person than they are. (laughs) Right? Okay. Right? Yep. Luke 12, Jesus says, Beware, guard against every kind of greed. Beware, there's a warning, it's a flashing sign. Beware, guard against every kind of greed. What is greed? Greed's to want more. Never have enough. I'm never satisfied. I want more money, more stuff, bigger this, bigger that. And it's greed that will keep me and keep you from living a radically generous life. And it's interesting that Jesus talks so much about it. I I heard a, a a Tim Keller devotional, a little reflection, and I loved his insight. He said, greed is the sin that you don't see. Most of us think we're not greedy. We don't think we're greedy. Most of us would say, I, I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm not greedy. But I loved what he said. Tim Keller said, but let's take a different sin, adultery. You know that is not your spouse. <laughs> that person that you're sleeping with that is not your, you know that. It's clear. Oh, I just crossed that line. That person, I'm committing adultery, right? But greed's not that way. We don't know. We don't see it. I've had people come into my office and confess adultery. I've had people come into my office and confess rage and anger and bitterness and resentment. But do you know in 35 years of doing ministry, I've never had a single person come into my office and confess greed. Pastor, I'm a greedy person. Pastor, I spend too much money on myself. I haven't had that yet. Why? Because greed is the sin that we don't see. And so maybe as you think about the issue, might you be open to say, maybe I am materialistic. Maybe there is a spirit of greed that's attached itself to me. 
W would I be willing to show my checkbook, my Visa card uh, statement to somebody else to say, hey, can you tell me if I'm greedy or not? Here's my income. Here's where all my money goes. Here's where I save. Here's where I give. Here's what I spend on myself. Can you help me understand if this is an issue that I'm, I'm, I need to make a shift in my life? And then what, what would hold me back from doing that? We'll talk about more, that more in just a second. Let's get to the second issue that we need to wrestle with. First one is greed. Second is identity. Look at verse 15 of Luke 12. He's telling this story, and he's saying, be on guard. Be on guard against every kind of greed. And then he says this. Life is not measured by how much you own. I want you to read that out loud. Let's say it together. Life is not measured by how much you own. I don't think that, I, I think that life in Santa Barbara collides against that statement. I think Santa Barbara, we believe that life is measured by how much we own. We measure, we compare, we compete. We, our, our, our net worth and our self-worth are combined. We make uh, judgments, we analyze, we, we, you're more important because of where you live, because of what you own, how much you own, you're more important than me. All that stuff is going on in our heads. We do measure our worth, our self-worth by how much we own. We've bought into that lie, and it's an identity issue, isn't it? So here's my question. Who or what tells you? Who or what tells you who you are? We sing of these songs. I am who you say I am. We say that to remind ourselves. Am I? Do, do I define myself by who God says I am or by who you say I am? Who others say I am? And it's hard to admit, but where my money goes, where I spend my money, it, it reveals what's most important to me. It's just a fact. It's true. I can say, oh, no, I'm totally committed to God. And then you look at my checkbook or you look at my bank account and you go, really? I don't, I don't see that reflected anywhere. There's no commitment or there's little commitment to the purposes, the mission of God. I see you're committed to Nordstrom's. Right? Let me ask you this. What is it effortless for you to spend money on? It just flows out of you. You're like, Jesus is where your, your treasure is there. Your heart will be also. What you spend, for me, and you guys know, it's effortless for me to spend money on travel. I, I, I love adventure travel. I love to travel. It's effortless. It's like, let's go. Let's go. Let's do this. I'm ready. Bags are packed. Let's go. What is it for you? Now, is, is adventure travel evil? No. You might spend it on books. You might spend it on food. Is that evil? No. But there's a competing kind of thing going on, right? That when I'm spending money, lots of money, to go places, and if it, that, that in itself isn't a bad thing, but, but when it, you look at, is my commitment to the mission of God, where does that come out in, in where my money goes? And you go, boy, that, that just feels like it's, Adventure travel is way more important to you, John, than the mission of God. 
then I need to wrestle with that. Would you agree with that, right? Would you agree with that? If you're a follower of Jesus, we, we need to wrestle with those competing loves. Let me jump to the third thing. The third issue we got to wrestle with. So we got greed, we got identity. And this, this one was just so fresh for me. It's, it's the word I, I'm insulated. Insulated. Or you might say isolated. Insulated, isolated. Luke 12, verse 17, Jesus tells a parable about this wealthy man who's going to build a lot of barns. In fact, let me just jump to it. I don't have the, uh, the whole passage on the screen, but I do have it here in my Bible. Luke 12, someone said uh, to Jesus, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus said, hey, who appointed me as a judge or arbiter? And then he said this, watch out. Uh, be on guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in your abundance of possessions. Then he tells this story. He told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundance, abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And, here it is again, I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. And then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? And this is how it will be. This is how it will be, Jesus said, with those who store up things for themselves but are not rich toward God. There's a lot in there. We're going to walk through it. But verse 17, he said to himself, twice in this little parable, he said to himself. What does that mean? He's not talking to anybody else. He's only talking to himself. He's in his own head about his own money and his own giving. He said to himself, what should I do? He said to himself, this is what I'm going to do. But he didn't sit down with his spouse, his wife. Didn't sit down with his mentors. He didn't sit down with his soul friends who he's walking alongside and doing life together in community group. He just kept it to himself. Why is it that we live that way? Why is it taboo? to have a spiritual conversation about money and what we're doing with our money? Why does it create fear, panic in us? There's a lot of reasons, actually. I wrote a few down, and I talked to people this week. Some of us, we resist because we're embarrassed. We're embarrassed about what another person would discover. Others of us are like, I don't care what you think about my money. It's none of your business. I earned it. I made it. I'll do with it what I want. I don't need you to weigh in or speak into my life around money, right? And then there's still others of us that would say, well, it just takes too much work to sit down with Natalie and let's, let's have a financial meeting at home and let's go through the computer and go through where we're spending our money and how much we're, it's just like, oh, and now it's going to create conflict in our household and it's going to create a three-day fight. So let's just avoid it and hope it goes away. I'm preaching to somebody right now. (laughs) 
There's a book, I've referred to it before. Their, their story inspires me. It's these guys that went to Harvard Business School. They got their MBAs. And they were in a Bible study together. And uh, here's what just even the back says. Two young Harvard MBAs on the fast track to wealth and success. They tell their story of God's transforming power and how it changed their lives and their relationship to money. And this book is an honest look at what the Bible says about generosity. But they met in a men's Bible study at Harvard, and they confronted this, this topic that would change their lives. What they ended up doing is they created a personal board of directors. And it's like five guys and their spouses, their wives, they go on a retreat once a year, and they said it started that on the retreat they would talk about these questions. Why do we give? Where do we give? How much do we give and why? Why am I giving money here and not there? Why am I not giving money here? And why am I keeping that much for myself? Could you imagine having a conversation that wasn't taboo or embarrassing, but you're just going, this is the reality of my life, and I'm a follower of Jesus, and I want to get better. I want to live a better story, a bigger story. I want to live and give generously. Well, that's what these guys said. You know what? We're going to live life counterculturally. We're going to let other people into this private area, right? It's just like, ooh, right now, some of your skin, it's crawling, right? It's, it's not natural in the church. It's actually taboo. It's so private. It's like, it's none of your business. Where does that spirit come from? That's the spirit of this guy in the story who's talking to himself about building bigger barns, not allowing other people that you care about and respect. I'm not saying just let anybody in, but soul friends, spiritual friends, close friends, and family. They say, let's, no judgment, but let's just deal with reality of where our money's going, where we're giving or not giving. You know, they've ended up, their conversation now is not how much should I give, but how much should I keep? Because they've made a lot of money. And I just wonder if, if some of us need to have that conversation. Maybe, maybe right here, right now, there is a supernatural, a divine appointment that God wants to set some of you free from the prison of privacy around your finances. That your whole life, it's just you in your head, and you're the only one making the decision. What a risk. But what a God-honoring thing to let somebody else look, take a peek, and say, speak into it. And you might, you might be like, Wow, they would be amazed at what you're doing. That'd be awesome. And they might go, you can do more. And they might be, brother, let me pray for you, man. <laughs> All right, let me jump to the next two really quickly. We're number four issue we need to wrestle with. Throw it up there on the screen. Hyper control. This kind of ties into what we were just talking about. Some of us are just super controlling about our resources, about our money. Listen to the story, Luke 12. And then he told the story, a rich man had a fertile farm. I've read it to you, right? But notice the language, the me, myself, and I language. He said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. 
And then he said, I know, I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. And I will sit back and say to myself, my friend, man, he's good friends with himself. <laughs> you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, you will die this very night. Then who will get everything you work for? You know, there's no gratitude to God in his language. There's no gratitude to his colleagues, to his workers in his language. There's lots of money saved up, but no thoughts of sharing that money, those resources, that blessing. He's been blessed abundantly by God, but has a scarcity mindset. And I just wonder if there's somebody in this room that's here, and you save, and you're frugal, and you've actually chosen a life of simplicity. Your house, it's paid off. You're actually kind of prideful about watching your net worth grow. Those barns are getting bigger. Your Schwab account or your real estate portfolio is getting bigger. And you're in control of it. It actually makes you feel kind of powerful. I'm in charge. I'm in control. Spoiler alert. You're not. That's what the scripture says. There is a spoiler alert here. You and I are not in control. In fact, verse 20 has two words. You fool. Wow. You fool. It's foolish to think I'm in control. It's foolish to be just, you know, so hyper-focused on being in control. And when I'm hyper-focused about being in control of my stuff, I'm not surrendering. I'm not allowing God to speak into my life. And control versus surrender. Where are you at? Some of us, some of us in this room need to wrestle with that. Here's the last issue we need to wrestle with. It's, and it could be the biggest one for a lot of us in this room. It's the issue of fear. It's the issue of fear. Verse 21 of Luke 12, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth for themselves, but not have a rich relationship with God. To live in fear, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I mean, I might be storing up wealth because I want to be in control or because I'm greedy, but I think another reason we store up, and there's nothing wrong with saving, by the way, but when I'm just storing up in the NIV, it says for themselves, people that store up, it's just for myself, it's out of fear. It's out of fear. Fear of what? Fear of running out. Fear of not having enough. Fear of having to cut back my lifestyle. Fear of my kids not liking me because I'm not leaving them in my inheritance as much as they want. Fear of disappointing my kids that are living with me right now and not providing them with more stuff that they want. I love this Bob Goff quote. He says, don't let what you are afraid of keep you 
from what you are made for. Wow. Do you know what you were made for? You were made to live generously, to live a generous life. It's in your DNA. It's in my DNA. That's what I'm made for. Don't let what I'm afraid of prevent me or keep me from what I am made for. Jeff Mannion is an author. He's written a few books. Heard him speak. He said something that uh, at this conference that's going to awaken some of you right now. Some of you are going to feel judged by this. I'm just warning you. Maybe that's a good thing. Not that judgments are good, but sometimes a conviction. Maybe, maybe rather than judge, you're going to feel convicted as you, as you read this. You can see it on the screen. Let me read it. He said, I want to say this in the strongest terms and fewest words possible. If I say I've given my life to Christ except for my time and money, I haven't given my life to Christ. Christ doesn't have me yet. Is a Selah moment. Pause, ponder. Does Christ have you? Some of you are going, well, he's got my time. I don't get money because I'm just my time. No, no, no. Does he have you yet? Does he have your time? Does he have your money? What would that look like? What would need to shift? I'm going to close with this scripture that comes out of Revelation chapter 3. I've used this passage as many pastors have. It's a, it's a, it's a verse that calls people to salvation. Jesus said, look, I stand at the door and knock. If, I hear, if, you, if you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in, and we will share a meal together as friends. Here's the problem with this verse. Do you know who it's written to? It's written to Christians. But we use it to invite people into the family. Of faith. But it's actually written to Christians. And you know what else? It's not just written to any Christian. It's written to rich Christians. It's written to the church at Laodicea that was an affluent, wealthy, rich community. And it was their affluence and wealth that they were drifting into a lukewarm faith. They were losing their way. They had just gotten comfortable, complacent, just kind of, I'll tip God. But their life became about me, myself, and I, and all my stuff, and all my resources. And the word of God comes and says, Jesus says to them in that church, but I believe he's saying to us in this church, Ocean Hills Church in Santa Barbara, I am standing at the door of your and my heart and life this morning. And you know what I'm doing? I'm knocking. I want access I want access to your life. I want access to your resources. I want access to your money. I want to have a say. I want to have a conversation about it. If you hear my voice and open the door, I'll come in and we will share a meal together actually as what? As friends. It's not a conversation we need to be afraid of. Jesus wants to come into my life today and have a conversation with me about what I'm doing with what he's entrusted to me. 
What I'm doing with the blessings and the windfall he's bringing my way. What I'm doing because I don't have enough. And maybe my priorities are out of whack and I need to make some adjustments and shifts. But it's a conversation. To eat together in that first century meant to be family, to be friends. Like, we're going to do this. Don't have to be afraid of it, but are we going to open the door? And I'm praying today and the next two weeks, this is, we're talking about bruised camels. It's hard to talk about money. Jesus says, it's so hard for rich people. So what are we going to do about it? Let's pray. Bow your heads. The band can come up. What are you going to do when you hear him knock? Are you going to open the door? Are you going to say, God, I am. I'm willing to wrestle through this spiritual issue with you. Or are you going to ignore that knock? Are you going to hope it goes away? I'm praying for divine appointments all over this room right now. I, I, believe, I believe the Spirit of God is knocking on hearts right here, right now, in this place. I'm praying for that. I've been praying all week for this moment to happen. It's a moment I can't control, but the Spirit of God is in control of this room. And I just, I, I do, I believe he's knocking. He wants more for you. He wants to, to move in your life in a way that you can have an impact beyond what you could even ask or imagine. You can be changing this church. You can be changing this community. You can be changing the world by allowing the Lord to release the resources that he's put in your care to move the mission of Jesus forward. And God, I pray that, that each of us would hear you knocking and we'd be willing to have that conversation and not just one, but more than one conversation this week with you, with our family, with a soul friend, that, that this would no longer be taboo. So come, Holy Spirit, have your way. You're bigger. You are bigger and you're better than we think. And so I pray that we would trust you. I pray that today hearts would be moved to change, to make a shift, to, to grow, to become a new, a better, the best version of ourselves. That, that that's what we would be willing to make a shift for. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Before you re-enter your day, we hope that you will take just a few moments to pause and respond to what God has put on your heart through this message. Thank you again for listening to the Ocean Hills podcast. For access to more sermons, visit the Watch and Listen page on OceanHills.org or find them on the Ocean Hills app.